try it again. Can y'all hear me? Getting there? All right. Good morning. How are we doing today? Good. It's so good to be here. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers. So grateful for you guys. Can we thank God for all of the mothers in here today? Amen. Amen. I am. Um, this is such a good day to celebrate mothers. I mean, mothers. I mean, are the backbones of many of our families. I also want to point out and, and uh, realize the fact that there are. This is also a tough time for many people, right? You know, some people have lost their mother. Uh, some people have lost the child, and so uh, we want to keep that in mind as we celebrate mothers as well. You know, Eve was called a mother in chapter 3 of Genesis, and she didn't have any kids yet. She didn't have kids to chapter 4, verse 1 to chapter 4, and she's called a mother. And so there's this internal instinct that ladies have. And so Happy Mother's Day really for me goes out to all of you ladies, uh, but particularly want to shout out those of you uh, who have kids. And it's amazing to see many of you in here with, with all of your kids and with some of your kids. Uh, and so I'm just, I'm grateful for mothers. My mother couldn't be here. She's down south. Uh, you know, she's normally here. She's down south at my niece's graduation. Uh, and so um, excited that I get to celebrate with your mothers that are here. So uh, Bride of Christ series, we're back in the Bride of Christ series. I was going to slip off and do a Mother's Day deal, but I, I really feel strongly to keep moving, keep plowing ahead with the Bride of Christ series, a series on the church. Many of us need uh, really some defining of what the church is, and Scripture gives us that definition. As I said last week, most of us walk into uh, our church and think of church as, a, as our church experience and what we've gone through and what we've experienced in church. But the truth of the matter is maybe our experience is it's a possibility that they could be different than what the scriptures have said. And so for the next two months, we just want to move out the way all of our experience, what we think we know, um, and just get into what the Bible says, whether good or bad. That's not just bad experiences. Some of us have, have had really, really good experiences in church, uh, but may not necessarily be biblical ones. And so the point I wanted to, to make over the next two months is really to dig into what the scriptures say. Last week, we talked about Jesus as the builder of the church. There's no other way to start a series on the church without talking about the one who built and sustains the church. And that is Jesus Christ. Don't turn here, but 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, no one can lay a foundation than that which is already laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Christ is our foundation. Today we'll be in Acts chapter 2. If you could get your, your Bibles, the copies of whatever you have that contains the word, please grab it. This morning I am eager, so I just want to jump right in. Acts chapter 2. Y'all are funny. When I came in today, all of these seats right here were open. I know y'all want to stay out of the spit zone, and so... It's, it's all good. It's all good. Gabe is bold. Uh, Acts chapter 2. Everybody have it? All right. Verse number, we'll start at verse 42. We'll do 42 to 47. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who had believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing, distributing them, uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple, 
together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to preach from the topic entitled characteristics of a healthy church. Characteristics of a healthy church. Let's pray. Father, this morning we do sit in great anticipation um, of what you will say to us. Don't sit in anticipation of uh, anyone that can wax eloquent. We want to hear from you. Uh, we want to hear your word. We want to hear, we don't want to hear opinion. We don't want to hear fluff, uh, but we, we want to build our lives and in, in, in our church around what the word has to say. And I pray that Jesus Christ would be glorified through our time. Strengthen those of us in here that may have already trusted and believed in Jesus. And those that haven't, we thank God that they're here. Pray that you would do something in their hearts today as well. All of us are in desperate need of the gospel. There's not one person in here that um, has moved past the gospel, has graduated from the gospel, but we all need it. And today I pray that it would apply to our hearts. I pray that today we would take our view of church and, and, and really check it at the door and really look at what does the Bible have to say about what the church is and what the church is not. Be with us today. Bless our time. Be, let it be fruitful. Let it be convicting. Let it be encouraging. All for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. amen. Characteristics of a healthy church. Let me just point out and jump right in and say, notice I did not say characteristics of a perfect church. No such thing as a perfect church. I don't believe in perfect churches. There is a, we have a perfect savior that died for an imperfect, imperfect church. And he is the one uh, that we seek perfection from. And so the church is not perfect. If you've left your old church and you've been coming here and in your mind, you're thinking that this is, uh, this is a church that I can run from imperfection of my old church, you'll find that we are imperfect, imperfect here as well. Just stay around just a little bit longer and you will, you'll see that from us as well. Charles Spurgeon, one of my favorite theologians, uh, pastors from in the mid to late 1800s, pastor of the Metropolitan Baptist Church in uh, London, England. He says this, give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect. And I hope that you are glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church until, it, until I had found a perfect one, I would have never joined one at all. And at the moment I did not join and at the moment I did join it if I had found one I shouldn't have spoiled it for it wouldn't have been perfect any longer after I had become a member still as imperfect as the church is it is the dearest place on earth how in the world can the church be imperfect and still be considered by Charles Spurgeon one of the dearest places on earth that's because we're not seeking perfection we're seeking health that is what the church should be seeking. 2002, August 3rd, 2002, Ty and I um, decided to get married. Got married in East New York, section of Brooklyn, uh, jumped on the southern state and went to our, went to our uh, wedding reception in Long Island, then jumped on a flight, went down to Florida, jumped on a boat to go on a cruise. And in my mind, like this, this was a perfect, like, this was perfect. She was perfect. I married my best friend. We got to celebrate this season of our life. It was a great, like nothing in my mind could go wrong until I got home and we had our first argument. Then I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Lord, are you, are you sure? 
that I did the right thing here. Until I got home and had to pay bills and mow the lawn and take out trash and change diapers and clean bottles. You know, nowadays y'all got it easy. Like back in the day, we used to have to like literally clean and sterilize. Like now y'all just got little machines, push a button and everything's together. Like I had a honeymoon stage of my marriage that I thought that the rest of my marriage would be like that. Truth is, it's not. That is what we see in our text today. The church has just started. Acts chapter 2 is the birthing of the church. The Holy Spirit, 120... And this is the beauty about the, the, the beginnings of the church. There's 120 people in the upper room. The Holy Spirit falls. Peter preaches a message, which we're going to talk about. Peter preaches a message. 3,000 souls get added to the church. And it's not like they were stagnant and stuck at 3,000. You read the text today. It says day by day, the Lord added to the number. There, but they kept growing. They kept growing. So this is how the church started. This was the honeymoon stage of the church. But of course, sin does creep in. By the time you get to Acts 15, they need the Jerusalem council because they don't know what in the world they're doing. They're trying to figure out if Gentiles and Jews can mesh together. And let me just say to you that are in here, we are right now in a what I would call a pseudo-community stage of our church plan. Everything's going well between everybody. No, there's no wrong. We're getting to know each other. There's no wrong that you could do in my eyes. And everything's like, it's beautiful and everything's well. That will be over soon. That will be over soon. That's not, that's not written. But at some point, we'll have to deal with each other's sin. We'll have to deal with each other's dysfunction. If we see that's the stage, there, there's two stages, really five stages um, that Bruce Tuckerman, I don't know if you got Tuckman, Bruce Tuckman, 1965, he talks about how there's five stages to building a high performing team. And this is ap- applicable to church as well. Two of those stages, the first one is forming, the forming stage. That's where we're in, right? We're trying to form, we're trying to create an identity, a DNA, we're trying to form a church. The next stage is storming. That's where most churches break up. That's when we actually know each other and actually have to deal with each other. That's where Destiny Child, that's where Latoya and Latavia, that's where they had to get off the boat in the storming stage. But it's true, though. Same with Daddy Kane. They had to get off. Right. There's a there's a phase in every every single church, every ministry, every team, whatever you're building. All of us will be tested by the storming stage. The question is, what do we do in that stage? The thing I love about our text today is if we apply what Luke is talking about, Luke, the writer of Acts, the book of Acts, what Luke is talking about, if we apply this in each stage, it'll keep us. I'm not saying people won't leave. I'm just saying it'll keep us from being unhealthy. It'll keep us from being unhealthy. So I'd like to walk through this. What Paul, Paul, what Luke does in the book of Acts is he really, in the first verse, in in, uh, verse 42, he gives us four characteristics of what health looks like in a church. Four characteristics. And then 43 to 47, he spends the rest of his time unpacking the four things that he already talked about. So let's consider them together and walk through it. Verse number 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I love the fact that the scripture starts by telling us the importance and the priority of teaching in the church. It's absolutely important. We don't gather like, I I love the worship. I love that we get to go downstairs and have time with, with the mothers and tea and 
cake. I love that we get to do that. But the truth is, we all gather here to get under this word. Not just you, me too. All of us gather because we want to hear what the word has to say. The Bible just said that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were able to devote themselves to the apostles' teaching because they started off in the apostles' teaching. Remember I said 3,000 souls were added to the church. How were they added to the church? Because Peter stands up. Remember there in the upper room, the Holy Spirit falls. Everyone's like, man, those men are drunk. What does he say? These men aren't drunk as you suppose. And then what does he do? He walks them through a sermon. In, within his sermon, the thing I love about his sermon is he quotes three Old Testament passages and then teaches from them. And even in his teaching, his teaching was centered on Jesus every time. Every verse he quoted. In fact, let's just walk through it real quick. He quotes Joel chapter two. When you read same chapter, Acts chapter, you don't have to turn to it. Acts chapter two. Peter quotes Joel chapter two in verses 17 to 21. He quotes it and then he says this. Many of men of Israel hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by you with mighty works and wonders and signs and that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up and according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men. God raised him up and loosed the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held. So did you see what he did? He quoted Joel 2 and then preached Jesus. He does it again. Now he's going to quote David. I'm going to just keep rolling. He quotes David, same chapter, Acts 2. He quotes David in Psalm 16. And after he quotes David, he says this, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried and his tomb is still with us. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and he spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised. Did you see that? He quotes Psalm 16 and does what? Preaches Jesus. He does it again. Watch. In verse number 35, he quotes Psalms 110. After he quotes Psalms 110, he says, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter just spent the last few verses quoting three different Old Testament passages and pulling Jesus out of each one of them. That is the apostles' teaching. And so when the scripture says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, what they devoted themselves to was the biblical teaching of the centrality of Jesus Christ. See, that's why we come in here every week and don't preach nothing else but the gospel. There's nothing else to preach, not for a church. We have to preach what the gospel says. I'm just going to read this verse because this verse really says the importance of preaching the gospel out of each passage. Verse 37, the same same chapter, verse 37 says, and when they heard this, they were cut to their hearts. They went went to Peter and the apostles and said, what can we do? What did they say? Repent and be baptized. Turn to Jesus. And so a healthy church is one that submits its life, submits its church to the apostles' teaching, not to my teaching, to what the apostles have already taught in this book. That's a healthy church. A church that doesn't come here, do a bunch of other stuff and never get to this. Do you know how many churches thrive off of programs? 
thrive off of so much other. We have to thrive. I want us to be marked by the church that preaches from the Bible and talks about Jesus. That's what we need to be marked for. And so Peter shows us that. He modeled it for us. Three passages, not to mention none of the passages were New Testament. So we think, oh, Jesus stepped on the scene in Matthew. No, you saw Peter just went back to three different passages in the Old Testament and pulls Jesus out. That is what the church does. And so it says that they devoted themselves. I love the NASB translation of this text. It says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles teaching. That means they didn't devote themselves to the apostles teaching at Pentecost when they heard these three passages preach. And then they say, I'm going to devote to that. No, they continue to devote themselves on a consistent basis. I don't care how old you are in here. I don't care how young you are in here. None of us outgrow the stage of being taught. None of us. There's nobody that's above anybody with being taught. All of us in here need to at some point sit under the word of God. And so it says that they devoted themselves. One of my favorite basketball players is Stephon Curry. It really is. I just, he's just a, Taggy clapped. <laughs> he's just a, he's just an amazing player, but he, I like him and I'm amazed by him. Not necessarily why, why everybody else is amazed. Now, most people are amazed by him because he makes half court shots look like layups or, you know, he's on his way out the tunnel and he can shoot a three and just like, it's like nothing for him. What I'm amazed at with him is his 90% average from the free throw line. Like he almost never misses. Like if you watch him, he's tired. Sometimes he's sweating. He has his mouthpiece like hanging out of his mouth. He probably just got elbowed, but he gets to the free throw line and makes it look effortless. How in the world can he make effortless free throws? It's because he's devoted himself to his technique. That's what we must be. See, we're wondering why in the world does sin always overtake us? It's because we haven't devoted ourselves to the word. We haven't devoted ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We wonder why we can't overcome that one little struggle. All of us have it. Don't act like you're sitting in here like I'm, I don't have struggles. All of us in this room, all of us have struggles, and all of us are in desperate need of submitting ourselves to the apostles' teaching. We can overcome sin Based on the word. That's what the scriptures tell us. Confess your sin. He's faithful and he's just to forgive you of your sin and purify you from all unrighteousness. That's a text. That's something that you have to continually remind yourself of. Continually remind yourself. Devote yourself to the apostles' teaching. We're getting, see, we get 50%. We got a 50% average from the free throw line and trying to figure out why we don't got a better average. It's because we haven't devoted ourselves. We haven't devoted ourselves. And so... Luke tells us the first thing, the first characteristic of a healthy church is a church that is marked by healthy, gospel-centered, Jesus-loving teaching. It's the first characteristic of a, of a healthy church. Look at the second one. The second one is, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. Now, this word fellowship is an interesting word because it, this is the first time it's used. It was not used in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. The first time it's used. Luke it didn't even use it in the gospel of Luke. The first time we see this word fellowship in the original language is koinonia. The first time we see it is right here. It's the first time. Now, why is this interesting? Because when we read this in our English language, we miss the mark on it. Because we think fellowship is punching cookies. We think fellowship is what we're going to do downstairs. 
That's not what the writer is talking about. Koinonia is different than that bubbly feeling when you get around another believer and we're just, I invite you over to my house. That's not fellowship according to what Luke is talking about. Fellowship here means joint participation. Anytime fellowship is used, koinonia is used in the New Testament, it's always talking about sharing. It's always talking about you and I getting together and there's a mutual exchange. That's what koinonia is. My prayer and deepest hope since I read this this week, my prayer has been that we would move past punching punch cookies and move to koinonia, to deep fellowship, to deep a deep mutual engagement, a joint participation. That's my hope that we would move there. See, many of us, many of us have a consumeristic mindset as it relates to church. How does the church serve me? What programs does the church have for my kids? What, how, did, how is the church supposed to, how is it wired for me? You know how many people select a church based on how it makes them feel? Do you know how many people leave a church because it didn't satisfy their needs? The, the great theologian John F. Kennedy, not a theologian, I'm kidding by, by saying that. President John F. Kennedy in his inaugural address says, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I would love to put the church there. Don't ask what the church can do for you. Ask what you can do for the church. Some of you have giftings. Some of you have abilities. Some of you have resources. Some of you have money. Some of you have extra time on your hands. How can you serve the church? That's the question. Whenever, see, koinonia, when you have koinonia, you don't walk into fellowship, into a relationship with another believer, seeing how your needs can be met. You always walk into, how can I serve this person? How can I serve this person? I pray that, see, my generation is so consumeristic. It's, so, it's always about us. How can we get to koinonia? That's the question that's on the table. And let me, let me just say, you know, there, there's a lot that needs to be, as we talk about joint participation, there's a lot that needs to be done in this specific church. I mean, down to the chairs you are sitting on were literally drug into a U-Haul yesterday, drug out of the U-Haul this morning, set up. Like, I don't know if y'all realize a bar was sitting here. We have to, that thing has to weigh about a thousand pounds. We put the thing on a dolly, we roll it out, we set up speakers, we go downstairs and set up, and some of you, and don't take this as a bash, but some of you come, enjoy, and don't participate. Coin a knee is what we're looking for. We don't have time for punching cookies. We need, we need people that are going to put their hands to the plow. And so a characteristic wasn't just they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but they also devoted themselves to joint participation within fellowship. We need that. And it's not to build our brand and our name. It's to build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We have 2.6 million people in Brooklyn. Do you know how many people are lost? But koinonia has to take place within the church. They have to see deep unity. I'm guilty as well as it relates to consumeristic mindsets. I don't want to put you on blast and not say I'm guilty. I'm guilty of thinking, how does the church serve me? How does the church, how, what can I get out of the church? But my prayer and hope is that we would move past that today and move to koinonia. Here's the beautiful thing about it. Even the Holy Spirit moved into koinonia with us. Where am I getting that from? Second Corinthians 13, 14 says, 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship, that's the same word, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with you. How in the world can the Holy Spirit decide to be in a joint participation with you, but we can't do it with each other? We're not above the Holy Spirit. We don't have a seat. next. It's not the quatrinity. You don't have a seat next to the Father, Son, and the Spirit. Like, that's not us. And so we need koinonia. We need to move past. our. And if that's you, struggle with it in your own heart. How can I move past consumeristic mindset, move from consumer, being a consumer to being in koinonia? That should be our prayer. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They uh, devoted themselves to the fellowship, the koinonia, and they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Now, when I used to read this, in my mind, I automatically thought communion, the breaking of bread, communion, right? The Lord's table. It's where we all gather around. We do it every single week. I thought that Luke was talking about that. But when you look at other places in the book of Acts, he's simply talking about sharing a meal, like grabbing some food with somebody. That's what he's talking. It's so practical. That's what he's talking about when he says, Breaking of bread. Why do I say that? Acts chapter 27, verse 35. Scripture says, when Paul said these things, he took the bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of all. He broke it. I love this. And then he began to eat. That's what, that's what breaking of bread is. Some of you, the most spiritually disciplined thing you can do is grab a meal with somebody else. Somebody that don't look like you, somebody that don't talk like you, somebody that has a completely different worldview than you, grab that person up and say, let's do lunch. Let's get together. Let's encourage one another. We need deeper community within the church. I'm telling you now, one of the most spiritual things is around the table. You get around the table with another believer and the Lord does some stuff. Not to mention, I love the fact that the, the scriptures, whenever the scriptures can endorse food, I'm all in. Like I'm all in. I, I disciple a group of guys and I tell these, this group of guys, we will never meet without food, period. I got rights in the text that tells me to break bread and we're going to do that. The only ticket to eat is what? That's right. You got to bring your Bible. That's the ticket. You put that down, we eat. But when we get to the apostles teaching, we get to uh, Koinonia and fellowship, and we get to breaking of bread, you get to see the different aspects within a healthy church. We can't, we can, this cannot be a subway car. We can't look like this on Sunday morning, spread out, and never talk to each other again. When that feeling I felt when I'm sitting at Niagara Falls is what I should feel, if not more, about the gospel message every time I hear it. Like every step I got closer and closer to the edge to look down, like it's steep. Niagara Falls, when that, the closer I got, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was, a little, I was a little shook. I was a little shook. I, I think I may have peed on myself just a little bit. Not a lot, just like a little squirt. I'm just saying. That's that feeling I have of, oh my God, like this is, no one feels in the moment when you're standing at Niagara Falls, like I could take this on. Nobody feels like that. No one feels like when you're sitting at the beach and looking at the massive nature of the ocean, you don't feel like I can grab this and put this over here. Everyone feels insignificant at that moment. 
No one looks up at the stars at night and goes, yeah, man, I can, this is easy for me. Like, I'm, like all of us feel a sense of, oh my God, I'm small. There's a sense of all that you feel when you look at the big, massive nature of the creation of God. Why not look at the creator more? Why not be in awe of the creator? Why not be in awe of the gospel message? Isaiah had the same interaction. Like, think about Isaiah's uh, interaction with the holiness of God in Isaiah 6. Now, can we all agree before I even talk about the story? Can we agree that Isaiah was probably more spiritual than all of us? Can we agree? Like, there's a moment in Isaiah where he stops the sun, where he's praying, he's talking to the Lord, and the sun is stopped. Like, unless you've done that, unless you could tell the clouds, pull back so the rain doesn't hit us on Mother's Day. If you can't do that, you don't have a walk with the Lord like Isaiah did. Isaiah had a walk with the Lord. Isaiah is confronted with the holiness of God in Isaiah 6. And what does he do? Drops to his knees and says, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Why is it that Isaiah, who had a relationship, a prophet that had a relationship with the Lord that's deeper than ours, has a sense of awe at the presence of God and we come in any old way? We have no respect. We have no, there's no sense of awe in us. The scriptures is clear that awe came upon. I love this. Not just one of the souls, not just some of the souls, not half of the church, not 1,500 was in awe and the other 1,500 was not. It says it came upon every single soul. What would it be like is every time we preach the gospel, everybody in here was just like our hearts were burning. Our hearts were burning to the point where we got out and wanted to preach it to our people on our jobs and people that live next to us. All came upon every single soul. And so church, listen, it's, it's important for us as we seek characteristics of a healthy church, it's important for us never to lose our awe. Churches drift when they lose their awe of the gospel. That's when we start getting into other stuff, health and wealth preaching, and we start getting into, uh, you know, inspirational, motivational messages. I want to be cut at the heart by the gospel. I want to know that I'm a sinner and I need saving. That's what I want to know. And so, and so Luke gives that to us today. He says, all came upon every soul and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Verse 44, and all, he's going to flesh out again, that koinonia phrase, verse 44, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Can you imagine that type of church to where we would inconvenience our own financial luxury and comfort to help somebody else? Can you imagine us being that type of church where we see a brother or a sister in need and we jump in? What do you need? How can I help you? Like, can you imagine that? that that's the coin in there. When I said he fleshes it out some more in, the rest, in verses 40, uh, 44 and ver verse 45, he mentions it and now he talks about it. This is what coin in is. The Bible says that they sold their possessions and gave them to anybody that was in need. Here's the beautiful thing about it, though. They didn't sell everything. See, in our minds, we think this is radical because now I have to sell my house and my car and da, 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 I have to sell all this stuff. That's not what it's saying. They didn't sell everything. How do I know that? Because verse 46 says that they met in their houses. So they still had houses. So they didn't sell everything. They used wisdom with what they sold and what they gave. But the point is that there was a mutual benefit. With, there was no lack in the, in the, in the community. Nobody was lacking. Somebody didn't have a job. We're going to chip in. We're going to help you out. 
You need, it, you need a loan until for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to help you out. See, that's where, that's where we need to get. So the Bible says that they sold their possessions. Maybe radical for you, but it's biblical. Everything, everything, see, this is why I say our understanding of church is purely based on our experience. I'm telling you, if one of these 3,000 people came in our church, they'd be like, well, what are y'all doing? There's no coin in here. Nobody's selling nothing. Like, there's somebody that's, that's, that doesn't have food and, and we eating? What is that? That's not what the scripture is giving us today. Verse 46. Before I go on to verse 46, I, I just briefly want to mention the importance. I don't know if you realize how much it, how many, how much resources it takes for a church to run. I don't know if you realize that. Like, I'm not saying, so I know y'all are like, oh, see, I knew he was going to hit us up for some money at some point. <laughs> like, I don't, like, I don't want a jet. I'm just saying right off the bat, I don't want a jet. I'm not asking you for no money for a jet. I don't want to go to another part of the country in my own little personal, that's not me. I drive a 2014 uh, Toyota Tercel with a dent in the side. My wife drives a 2006 a uh, Saturn view that needs an oil change. I need to take care of that, by the way. <laughs> she needs an oil change. So, so I'm not trying to floss off the church. So if your mindset is, oh, man, here we go. Another one of those churches. He wants our money. Listen, keep your money. I'd rather you just keep coming. But those of you who are like, man, like I'm here. I'm committed to this community. I'm committed, not just this community, but I'm committed to this community. I'm committed to this church. I want to see this thing flourish I'm not saying give your whole check. I'm saying when you give your check, think about the church. Think about the church. Because the Bible just said that they sold possessions. Let's go. For, verse 46. I feel like I'm going to get in trouble, so I got to keep going. Verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Let me just stop there for a second. Look at the formal and informal nature of how they got together. The Bible just said that they got together in the temple and in their homes. See, that's important. See, this is, this is a resemblance of getting together in the temple. You getting together in smaller groups, in clusters, checking on each other, having breaking bread. Us doing that is, to get into, is getting together outside of here in their homes. And so we must, as it relates to community, and I know this is new for some of you, as it relates to community, because some of you are like, Sunday mornings is enough. Like, I don't want to see you again until Sunday. I, I understand that. But the scripture just shows us that they got together in the temple and they got together in their homes. Here's the thing. Getting together in either one of them without the other is absolutely dangerous. If you're building your whole community life off of just getting together on Sunday morning, you're missing a big piece of community. If you're getting together in, the, in your homes and never getting together with the church, you're missing a big part, portion of community. There has to be a balance. The Bible just says that they got together in the temple and they got together in their houses. And so it was formal and it was informal. We're trying to put together community things that we can do. The ladies will start to get together. June 11th, the guys will get together. We're doing a day where we're going this far, but we're going to the Bronx. Is it the Bronx? The Bronx to get some seafood and just enjoy each other prayerfully. It's a beautiful day next week. 
trying to build formal ways of us to have community, praying that we can start to identify locations in the city where we can do small groups where you guys can get in clusters and break down. Because what happens Sunday morning is I preach this text to you and we can walk out of here constipated if we don't ever talk about it and work through it in our own lives. And so small groups really, they're driven by the pulpit. Small groups really should be you getting in clusters around the city so that you can talk about the nutrients that we received on Sunday. That's getting together in the temple and in the homes. So a balance is what we're trying to strike here. Verse 47, I'm almost done here. Verse 46, the finish, finishing it up. And they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those that were being saved. I love the fact that the scripture says that they, the Lord added to the church day by day. This means that they didn't wait for Sunday morning for the Lord to add to the church. They didn't wait for the altar call. They didn't wait. They didn't say, come down and you go, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Come down to the altar so that we could pray for you. That's not what they did. Day by day. That means this, there was an, the, a characteristic of a healthy church is one that is evangelistic. Do you see that day by day, that means that people that they were meeting, they were sharing the gospel. They were talking about Jesus in their day-to-day lives. Day by day, the Lord added to the church. See, my prayer is that we wouldn't be, the, the first time that your friend that you bring to church hears the gospel shouldn't be over the pulpit. They should have heard it from you. I should just be affirming what you've already said to them. You've already sat down and said, man, this is, I'm, this is how far we are from the Lord. And Jesus bridges the gap. You writing it on a napkin. I've done that before. I sit down and I on a little napkin be like, man, this is where you are. This is where the Lord is. Draw a bridge. That's Jesus. Like creative ways to share the gospel. Then when they get here and we open the text, we hear the gospel and they should say, oh, I've heard that. Oh, I got that. Their first time they hear it shouldn't be here. Not if you're bringing them to church. And so day by day, the Lord added. That means your lives are booby-trapped to be gospel carriers. Everywhere you go should be carrying this message of the gospel. So maybe you're in here and you're not a part of, when I say the church, I don't mean this church, the universal church. You're not a part of God's body. You're not a part of God's family. Listen, I'm not beating you up. All of us at at one point were not a part of God's body. If you're not a part of the church, my hope, my deepest prayer for you today is that you would submit. Submit to Jesus Christ. Just hear me. There is no, you can search, go through your phone and just look through every one of your contacts and find one contact that's perfect. Like find that one person in your contacts and be like, oh man, that person's perfect. Like I'm not saying a good person. I'm just not what I'm saying. Perfect. Find that person in your phone. If you do find them, call them and ask them to willingly trade their perfection for your sin. See, that's what we get in the gospel. In the gospel, what we get is Jesus Christ took all of your sin, not some of it, not half of it, all of yourself, put it on himself and dies on a cross on your behalf. And now we walk around as perfect and we're not. That's the gospel. My prayer is that that's the message that you will receive and submit your life to so that you can become part of the universal church. Submit yourself to the local church. It's imperfect. I get it. Like, I'm telling you, I get it. It's imperfect. But how can we contribute? How can we look for imperfection and try to make it better? 
We do that by submitting ourselves to the gospel. Hebrews 12, 2, I'm finishing here. This verse always rocks me when I think about it. It's what it says about Christ. For with the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Like what joy was there in the cross? Like what joy, joy was there in getting struck in your face, putting crowns of thorns on your head, nails in your hand, putting you up on a cross, getting mocked, spit at. What joy is that? The joy is that eternally we get to, we get to be found faithful with the Father forever. That's the joy that was set before the cross. You are the joy set before the cross. If you're not a believer in here, trust Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, today we are in awe of your gospel, in awe of how you love the church. Loved it so much that you died for it. Father, we, man, we, we love people in our lives. We love um, family members in our lives, but we think twice about dying for somebody. Like we, we can say, oh man, I would, but we think twice about it. Jesus doesn't think twice about dying for his church, his people. He goes and bears our full sin and shame and gives us complete righteousness. It is by that and that alone we are saved. Father, forgive us in here that have walked into the church with a consumeristic heart. Like, what if you were consumeristic? Like, what if Jesus came and what if you came and you said, you know what? I'm going to do this for me. I'm going to build my own kingdom here. You were selfless and sacrificial. Help us to be selfless and sacrificial as it relates to your church. We thank you for being the builder and sustainer of the church, but we pray for our own hearts that we would run to you and run to your people. You never saved us individualistically by ourselves without any accountability, but you saved us to be baptized into a body. Help us, Lord. Forgive us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.